Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to another amazing day here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Wonderful. Wonderful Thursday, man. We've got a full day of conversation for you. We've had that first day of session. We'll talk about what happened with that rule change in the house that I said to be watching, drawing your attention to. We've got some initial bills. We're first seeing some bills filed. Uh, We can actually take a look at them and and have a conversation about them. We'll be talking about one today as well. We'll have a few other items we may get to, but before we dig down into it. As always, please reach out to the Andrew Cooper Show by emailing info at theandrewshow.com with your questions, your comments, your concerns. You can also leave a comment and like on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or if you're listening on one of those places. Uh, of course, if you're listening on WZXI at 9 a.m., go ahead and tell a friend and family member to tune on into the Andrew Cooper Writer Show every day at 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. If you want to catch that 9 a.m. showing, head on over to the andrewshow.com. Once again, that's the andrewshow.com. And you can listen to the WZXI streaming player there 24-7. And if you're listening at 9 a.m. on a weekday, you'll hear yours truly chiming in with the news of the day. And without further ado, let's dig into some topics of discussion. First, uh, we did have a Secretary of State's uh, evacuation bomb threat. Actually, not just in Kentucky, but several states. Georgia, I know, evacuated a few others. And it appears that an email was sent to every Secretary of State's office uh, in the country threatening, of course, to blow them up. Um just goes to show uh, what they're pushing for here. And, and I'll go into what I mean by that. And so that led to the Capitol being evacuated due to uh, the Capitol building there being evacuated due to a bomb threat. Do I think this is, uh, was a real threat to begin with? Most likely not. I don't know. We'll find out generally if you actually want to pull off something like that, you don't call them beforehand to warn them, but what do I know? But the other thing is, is that I, you know, this is just, I, in my opinion, this is what I mean by uh, doing things they want you to do. This is this is just a preview to what I think we'll expect for 2024. Because the more and more people look at their government and don't even trust that, yes, we have a difference of opinions, but it's at least democratically in place that it's we're all playing on an even and fair playing field, or our candidates at least are. Well, in, until that gets addressed, when when that starts falling apart and you no longer believe you're a part of the government on either side, well, that certainly can become an issue. And they've set it up. They've set it up with what the left is doing to Trump. They've set it up where either A, if you're somebody who supports Trump because of what all the left has done, you're going to say if he loses, well, it was because they meddled. Or B, if Trump uh, wins and you're on the left, the left has pushed so many lies about Trump that they honestly believe this guy isn't eligible to even run on the ballot in the first place. They really believe that. And so when they say, look, we have a person who's ineligible to be president as president. Well, that's going to lead to something on their side. It's distrust, complete distrust of the system has been sowed. And I would expect, uh, unfortunately, we may be seeing more of this into the future. Speaking of Trump, uh, Trump is ensuring he gets ballot access here in Kentucky. So those of you unaware, any presidential candidate 
that wants to run for the president's office here in Kentucky in order to be listed on the ballot as a Republican or a Democrat has to pay $1,000 and get 5,000 signatures, in this case from registered Republicans, because he's running on the Republican ballot. So you got to have 5,000 uh, signatures from registered Republicans and $1,000. Well, the Trump campaign's well over that, but they want to make sure that they do not fall short of the goal that with all the scrutiny and craziness going on, that they can fully secure that spot on the ballot without having to worry about any kind of fall off in signatures. So therefore, it's very short notice because they had to get these turned in by tomorrow, Friday morning. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, January 4th, Thursday, January 4th, and you want to get uh, your signature on the the document in order to sign for Trump to run for uh, the office of the presidency here in Kentucky, reach out to the show, email info at the show.com. Once again, that's info at the show.com saying you want to sign. You will have to do it in person. So that means if you want to sign this, you will have to uh, come to Lexington and, and sign a paper here. I've got it at my office. So I'll just tell you where to head to. So you can sign that document if you so wish to do so. So that is a, uh, an option to, I'll give you time to, uh, to do that as well. So just email info at the Andrew show.com. So that kind of, uh, just, I just want to get those out of the way and let you know what's going on there. But if you're listening to this after Thursday, well, don't even worry about it. That's why you should stay on top of the Andrew Cooperwriter show and be listening every day. Tons of good information, tons of great stuff that I'm here to share with you. So house rules changes. So I mentioned earlier this week that one thing we'll be watching when the first things they vote on is the house rules. And there were some great rules proposed by members of the more conservative caucus uh, in order to disperse out power from leadership and empower rank and file members to basically have a little bit more control over their own futures. Basically, what the rules uh, had in place is that every single uh, legislator would get at least one bill called into a committee for discussion. Some legislators, if they're not well enough liked, even if they're Republican, not just Democrats, but even if they're Republican, if you don't kiss the boots of the people, because keep in mind how our legislative process works, a bill gets proposed. It goes to the committee on committees. If they choose to, they can assign that to a committee. Then the chair of that committee has to choose to call that bill forward for a hearing in the committee. And then it gets voted on on whether or not that committee wants to recommend it for passage to the entire body. If they vote yes, that bill then goes forward to the floor. And then the floor leader has to go ahead and call on that bill to be called forward for a vote. Then it gets voted on. Then it gets sent over to the other body. So if it starts in the House, it gets sent to the Senate. If it starts in the Senate, it gets sent over to the House. And then that's how a bill becomes the law. Well, there are some house rules to uh, do things like ensure every single house member gets at least one bill heard in a committee. They can choose one key bill and that the leadership or the leadership's cronies who are the chairs of the committees, they, the, in order to become chair of a committee, you had to be chosen by leadership to chair that. Uh, so that means you had to be willing to do their bidding, of course. And um, so they said, hey, we don't want leadership. And then they're, they're, the chairs that they've selected that they have control over getting to decide what bills get heard or not. We want everybody to get at least one bill heard a year. Well, the 
that was one of the changes. Another one of the changes was, uh, um, you know, ensuring that uh, two more rank and file members from the Republican and two more from the Democrat Party are added to the rules committee. That's kind of the committee that runs everything. Uh, also changing a discharge petition from being uh, a majority. So you needed a discharge petition is where a bill um, uh, is, is, is called forward to the floor immediately for a vote. So if you want to get a bill called forward for a vote, you have to get a discharge petition. And right now it takes 51 votes in order to get a bill called to the floor that hasn't gone through the committee process. If it goes through the committee process, uh, then it works its way around to the floor leader who can then call on the bill to be voted on on the floor. But if you, if they, if, if basically if leadership is saying, no, we don't want to call this bill forward, we don't want to call it. And you want to force them to call it because you say, this is conservative, good stuff. We want to call that forward. Well, leadership can't, um, can stop that by simply saying, look, you don't have 51 votes, which means the bill already has to pass. So basically it already has to pass to convince, to, to be able to pull it forward without leadership on board, which is kind of hard for a bill to have 51 votes and it not to pass. And it makes it hard too to have meat and potatoes votes on important things. And so lowering that threshold down to 25, certainly very important. There were some other things that these rule changes did, but hopefully it kind of gives you some idea that these rules were about trying to disperse power out from uh, uh, leadership and, and giving it more to the rank and file members so your representatives can do the hard work of representing you. Now, what happened with those rules? What, what, what ended up happening? What, why are we operating under the same rules as we did the prior years? Well, we'll be talking about that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky news and politics from a constitutional and conservative perspective. We'll see you back here in just a few short minutes. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics before the break. We were talking about these rule changes and how the uh, actual what came forward to the floor didn't involve any changes. They had the same rules as they did last year, despite the uh, great proposals that have been put forward for months on end. And the reason why, and 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 um, you know, you didn't really hear much on the floor. You had one speech from the floor I'll play for you that's particularly interesting, but you really didn't hear much because what actually happened and what occurred in order to kill those rules from moving, moving forward, happened in caucus. For those of you unaware, caucus meetings, the Democrats have one, the Republicans have one, and that's where the real debates take place. They're closed to the public. We, me and you aren't supposed to know what goes on in them, uh, but it's it's where they have the real conversations. And it does say something. Uh, these, these are very sacred, too, as well. Uh, so the fact that I have information about what went on in caucus is absolutely uh, is, is melts the minds of leadership in the house. They will throw people out of caucus for telling citizens about what happens in the caucus. They threaten them. 
saying you will no longer be a part of a club. You'll no longer be able to Republican caucus. You'll no longer have committee he hearing uh, committee positions. You will never chair a committee. You'll never have anything at all unless you toe this line. So while you were elected by 45,000 people, we will marginalize you out because we want to maintain control. People always ask, how does leadership in the House, in the Senate, how do they maintain control? And this is one way. They have this caucus meetings where the quote-unquote real conversations go forward. And it, you know, a lot of times, I've, I've heard about all kinds of caucus meetings, quite a lot of things are said, things they don't want constituents to know. And as I said, the very fact that there's things you don't want your constituents to know, things you think and say politically, that you don't want your constituents to know tells me you're kind of a piece of trash to begin with. But normally, if I uh, if there's an interesting caucus meeting, I'll get one or two reps that will kind of like call me up and say, "Hey, Andrew, I got something." Hey, Andrew, this is what was said in here. Thought you'd find it interesting. Uh, they're really not supposed to, but but they do it, and most of the time I don't say anything about it. But this time around. When caucus was held and the debate was held over these rules, I literally got uh, more representatives than I've ever had before tell me about what happened in that caucus meeting. I'm talking like, I talked to like 30 or 40 uh, representatives on a pretty regular basis, senators and representatives uh, across both of them. A lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of other representatives don't know all the people I talk to. Um, because, you know, we keep it between us as far as that goes. I'm aware that some of them don't like me. And so we keep our relationship to ourselves uh, as far as our working relationship of me finding out about what's going on sometimes. Um, but I've never had so many reach out to me about one caucus meeting. But in this case, I had well over a dozen representatives reaching out to me to tell me about what happened in this meeting. And there was one particular point uh, that they were very, very upset. So understand. So this is all about a power structure. So you have leadership, right? And they've got their chosen people, okay? The people who, who they pick to lead things. And one of the rule changes was allowing the committees to elect the chairs of the committees. And feeling his power threatened, the chairman of the transportation committee, Ken Upchurch, in caucus meeting, promised that if these rules move forward, he would pass a bill in order to charge a toll on the Brent Spence Bridge. The bridge being paid for by the federal government. I mean, I get it. It's tax money, right? We all pay for it. But by the federal government, it's not state appropriation. And he, will, he said he would pass a bill to toll that bridge as retaliation because of these rules passing. That's the kind of corruptness we have going on up in Frankfurt. We literally have the kind of political rot. The very thing the rule changes we're trying to attack. A person mad crazy that uses the powers of government to go after their uh, uh, quote-unquote political opponents. There's 45,000 people that live in a house district. Ken Upchurch wants to make tens of thousands of people Millions of people a year, millions worth a day, if you count the day, pay a toll to cross a bridge because he doesn't like the representatives elected in a certain area. That is absolutely, completely crazy. That tells you the kind of character these people have, and it isn't good.
It isn't good. I mean, Ken Upchurch is the same guy who said the only reason why he voted for the trigger law in Kentucky in the first place was because he thought Roe v. Wade would never be overturned. That tells you a little bit about the type of person he is. And I'm sure they'll lose their minds over the fact that, that Ken Upchurch is being called out for the piece of trash he is, but that's who he is. Not a good person. And I'm not afraid to say it either. I'm not running for office again. But I'll tell you this much, when literally over a dozen representatives are contacting me to tell me about what a horrible person somebody is, about the kinds of things that they're saying in caucus meetings because they hate you, that tells you something. That tells you that this, this, this Republican leadership has either lost all control or better yet, they are so, not better yet, but, but rather still, they are so tyrannical and their need to suppress the rest of the representatives down to get their way because they're so worried about serving these, these forces like the Chamber of Commerce and, and forces like, I don't know, you know, the, the KMA, Kentucky Medical Association, the forces, forces that, that pay them tens of thousands of dollars a year individually into their campaign accounts and sometimes sort of kind of directly, the horse track mafia. Right? They're so worried about serving them that they will play these games and rule with and, and literally marginalize the same people you elect simply because they don't like them as an individual. They'd rather they not exist. They'd rather 45,000 people's opinions be null and void because, well, they don't agree with them. And then they want to say, well, what's creating division? Republican Party creating division. What creates division is when somebody stands up there and decides they want to use governmental powers to attack millions of people because they don't like a handful of people. And what's funny is, 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 is the representatives telling me about this? It just sat so wrong with them. And it's, and it's, what do we expect? What do we expect? We continue to allow them to get away with this. And it gives you the perfect example of how they control things. And people say, how do they control things? Well, you just heard. If you allow this to move forward, the people who propose these rule changes, they came out of Northern Kentucky. Some of them did. So if you allow this to move forward, I'm going to punish that area by making my key piece of legislation a toll bridge. And I'm going to make sure that moves forward. Because that's the type of person they are. And Ken's chair of the uh, Transportation Committee. He felt his power being threatened because the people on the committee might vote him out because maybe he's a trashy human being. And I'm saying that based on the evidence that he would ever even say anything like this, that his mind thinks that way. That tells me everything I need to know. That tells me why he's so afraid of his own position. He's so afraid of being voted out by his own committee. If these rules move forward, giving them the ability to do that. Because... Maybe he's tried to rule so tyrannically and with an iron fist so much that people said, you know what? Now that the power's with the people, maybe we don't like you so much. Maybe we're going to vote to get rid of you because that is the exact ideas this country was founded on. But yet so, despite only having a few hours notice of what the new rules were, they decided to not make a single change. We do have this floor speech from Savannah Maddox uh, when the vote took place on the rules. Let's take a listen to that. 
aggression in this body, having a conversation is not an act of aggression. It is something that we should be doing. It is something that each and every one of us, regardless of what county, what district we represent, we should be coming. You know, I'm going to cut in real quick. Listen to the words she's picking. That tells you what some of the things they've been saying is. She's talking about asking this conversation is not an act of aggression. The fact she feels a need to say that tells me that perhaps, perhaps people had said something like somehow putting these forward, these rules is an act of aggression. Which is crazy that you would moving power from th those few in leadership to the many empowering legislators is wrong. But we'll continue. Listen closely, though, to the word choices, because that will tell you what's pushing this together to have discussions about the rules that are going to govern this process. And that's something that we should be doing before session convenes. It's something that I feel like a large number of members of this body have tried to do. And the rules were truly just made available to us whenever we came in today, at least the rules that we're going to be adopting. There were other rules that were put out there as well. Rules that enjoyed support from folks from all walks of life and political ideologies and backgrounds. But the concept that it is somehow an insurgency or an attack to have this discussion, to propose rules, to have that conversation is very detrimental to this process. And I am hopeful that, you know, even though I know that these are the rules that we're going to adopt and we're not going to consider anything today, I am very hopeful that leadership with both in the House Majority Caucus and the House Minority Caucus will listen to its members so that this can be the member driven process that it was designed to be. We each represent 45,000 people. That's what we were sent down here to do. We were sent down here to file legislation for the consideration of our colleagues, not for the consideration of five individuals. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with the way that things have been done, but these ideas deserve merit, they deserve consideration, and I humbly request that consideration. Thank you. So we're gonna uh, go over uh, some some bills that have been proposed after this short break. Um, really disappointed, though, that the House couldn't move something different on the rules. Just goes to show some representatives like being subjugated. Others like to stand up. I know a lot of uh, uh, of the representatives, even in caucus, that voted against the rules changes. Um, if they thought the votes were there, would have voted for it. It just it's the way they rule. They rule with fear. And that's unfortunate because I think the votes were actually there. I think I think with the Democrat votes and then the amount of people who reached out to me completely disgusted with the way some people conducted themselves and caucus there the other day, I think the votes were there. Well, that's what we got time for right now. We'll be back with another segment here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. And you are back with the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. We're going to be going over some uh, one bill that's been filed, one piece of legislation uh, specifically. We're going to be talking today about Senate Bill uh, 5, Senate Bill 5, right? It was BR 393, um, but it became Senate Bill 5 when the session started. I'm double-checking. Let me double-check real quick. Bills. Sorry, y'all. 2024 regular session, Senate Bill 5. Or is it 6? Senate Bill 6. My bad. Okay. So we're looking at Senate Bill 6. I assumed it was at the top of the uh, document here. 
because uh, it should say 24 RS SB5, um, but it says 24 RS BR393. So that threw me off a little bit. Um, but anyway, so Senate Bill 5 is attempting to deal with DEI in post-secondary education at public institutions. So DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, this... Uh, break down what the ideas are. This this bill does a good job of kind of explaining what DEI is in such a way um, because it's able to describe what divisive uh, concepts are and kind of go over them. But let's, let's frame in this bill, right? So one, this bill is specifically, specifically um, talking about public second post-secondary institutions. So this is talking about public universities. This is like UK, UVL, um, you know, uh, Kentucky State University, WKU, EKU, Murray State, right? So these are our publicly funded institutions where 20, 30% of their budget is coming from you, the taxpayer. So one, right away, already government has a right to regulate uh, what's going on there, certainly to a large degree because they're the ones paying for it. Now, there's some aspects of this bill that may have some First Amendment issues when it comes to students, and we'll kind of uncover those. But when it comes to the subjects that they're teaching and what they're, quote unquote, allowed to teach in schools and what the curriculums are, the, the minute you accept the fact that you are a public university, publicly funded, receiving 20 to 30 of your 30 percent of your budget, tens of millions of dollars, from the government, from the taxpayer, gives them now a right to regulate what's going on there. And if you don't like it, go to a private university. If you want to go hear about these divisive concepts, go to a public university. You do not have a right to learn about anything you want to on the taxpayer's dime. You don't. And that is why they have the ability to regulate this. Like I said, there's, there's some First Amendment concerns at some points of this we will talk about. But it doesn't have to do with the actual teaching a whole lot because obviously you're paying for it. The government's paying for it. They get the right to kind of handle it. So we're going to go through this bill and what it does. And then we're going to go over whether or not we think uh, it'll pass and what can we expect from it. So first, uh, the first thing in a bill, a bill will always start off by defining concepts uh, used throughout the bill. So the actual bill itself is pretty short, but... Uh, we need to define terms force. So this is banning the teaching of divisive concepts. That's what the bill is supposed to do here. And it defines divisive concepts at the very beginning. And this is what it defines it as. So that one race or sex is inherently superior or inferior to another race or sex. Why well, does it sound so bad? Banning that a uh, university can teach that uh, uh, white or black people are inferior or superior to white or black, to, to the opposite races or any minority races, uh, superior or inferior. I mean, anybody should be able to get on board with that. A liberal should be able to get on board with that, right? I mean, how do you defend the idea of teaching that uh, a sex, a women, or, or a person based upon immutable characteristics like their race and sex is somehow superior or inferior to another person? I mean, that that's the core of liberalism, isn't it? To a degree, or it used to be, right? Back classical liberalism. So, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be somebody who fights against that, you're really showing us who you are already, but we'll continue. An individual by virtue of their individual's race or sex is inherently privileged, racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or subconsciously. So this is attacking uh, these ideas of um, 
you know uh, what 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 is it the this DEI of idea that everybody is racist and just doesn't know it um oh geez they, they've got a term for this what is it uh um Implicit bias, that's the word. Implicit bias. So this is attacking that idea that you are implicitly racist. Just because you're white, it means you must implicitly in the back of your mind, even though you may not actually in your heart hate minorities, you somehow still do. Um, so most people would say, yeah, I mean, we don't want to say that simply because of a person's race or sex that they're privileged or racist. That seems wrong to say, doesn't it? Um, or oppressive, consciously, subconsciously, like, that is racist ideas, of course. And so this is a bill telling people they can't be racist and they can't teach racism in schools. Most people would agree. Another one is an individual should uh, be, you can't teach. A divisive concept is that an individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment because of the individual's race or sex. Yeah, let's don't be racist. Great. An individual's moral character is determined by the individual's race or sex. Yeah. The fact that you're white or black or, or, or you know, Hispanic or Asian or a, a man or a woman, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter uh, to whether or not you have good moral character. That, that has nothing to do with it. That's racist. Let's see. An individual by virtue of the individual's race or sex bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. An individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or another form of psychological distress solely because of the individual's race or sex. A meritocracy is inherently racist or sexist or designed by a particular race or sex to oppress another race or sex. So meritocracy is that, you know, you advance based upon your merits um, and somehow the, the, the crazy DEI people tell you that that's racist or sexist. The Commonwealth of Kentucky or the United States of America is fundamentally or ir irredeemably racist or sexist, promotes or advocates the violent overthrow of the United States government, promotes division but, or resentment of a race, sex, religion, creed, or nonviolent political affiliation, social class, or class of people. Okay, that's a pause there. So, so far, we've kind of um, seen to a degree, it's it's pretty clear lines, right? So the minute you start saying uh, words like all white people are racist or all uh, or black people need lower standards in order to achieve the same as white people, like the minute you start saying those things, that is a divisive concept. You're, you're judging people based upon immutable characteristics like their skin color, um, their race, their, their religion. Well, religion isn't immutable, uh, but gender, right? That, that immediately becomes easy to call out. But when it, this is where it gets a little iffy here. Promotes division or resentment of a race, sex, religion, creed, nonviolent political affection, social class, or class of people. I don't quite understand the concept that idea of promotes division. I, I would need that either has to be cut out or that would need to be prescribed exactly what is creating division. Because, you know, obviously we are told that we are creating division when we say like boys can't become girls. 
Well, we're told that, well, that that could easily fall into promotes division between a resentment of a race, sex, religion, or creed, or nonviolent political affection, social class, or class of people. They can say, well, you're creating division because you are uh, um, claiming that men can't become women, and that's divisive. Uh, and, and so in a lefty craziness, that is what they could say. So we got to either got to redefine that or change that around a bit. In my humble opinion, number 11 ascribes character traits, values, morals, or ethical codes, privileges, or beliefs to a race or sex or to an individual because of the individual's race or sex. Once again, against racism, the rule of law does not exist, but instead is a series of power relationships and struggles among racial or other groups. All Americans are not created equal and are not endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's why, why would, why would you say that, that why would we want public universities, your tax dollars funding people that say all Americans are not created equal. That seems racist and out of control. Government should deny to any person within the government's jurisdiction the equal protection of the law includes race or sex stereotyping or includes race or sex scapegoating. Race or sex scapegoating means assigning fault, blame, or bias to a race or sex or to members of a race or sex because of their race or sex and includes any claims that consciously or subconsciously and by virtue of a person's race or sex, members of race are inherently racist or inclined to oppress others, or that members of a sex are inherently sexist or inclined to oppress others. We're going to return to this. Uh, we're coming up on a break. We're going to return to this, break this down. we got a little bit more to cover here, and then let's go over whether or not this bill is going to pass. We'll have that after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky news and politics from a constitutional and conservative viewpoint. See you here in just a few. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. For the break, we've been going through Senate Bill 6, a self-proclaimed DEI bill to ban the teaching or practices of diversity, equity, and inclusion, extremely racist processed in our public universities. We've been going through the bill. We'll continue to take a look here. Um, so we were, we were talking about uh, race or sex stereotyping or scapegoating. Uh, basically saying that a person's character traits, values, or morals, um, you know, what, what makes them who they are is because of their sex or because of their race, um, or blaming them because of their race or sex for something. Uh, they're saying that that is divisive, not allowed in this bill. Another thing is training includes non-credit classes, seminars, workshops, trainings and orientation. So remember, we're defining terms that are said in the bill, right? So we define what divisive concepts were. We define what race or sex stereotyping is or race or sex scapegoating is. We define what training means, which includes non-credit classes, seminars, workshops, trainings and orientations. Now to the uh, a bill itself. So a student or employee of a public post-secondary education institution or an applicant for admission or employment at a public post-secondary education education institution shall not be penalized, discriminate against, or receive any adverse treatment due to the individual's refusal to support, believe, endorse, embrace, confess, act upon, or otherwise assent to one or more divisive concepts or be required to endorse a specific ideology or political viewpoint to be eligible for hiring, contract renewal, tenure, promotion, or graduation, and institutions shall not ask the ideological or political viewpoint of a student, job, applicant, job candidate, employee, or candidate for promotion or tenure. 
a public post-secondary education institution shall not solicit, require an applicant for admission or employment to describe the applicant's attitudes or actions in support of or in opposition to specific ideologies, beliefs, affiliations, ideals, or principles. A post-secondary education institution shall not conduct any mandatory training of students or employees in the training includes, if the training includes one or more divisive concepts, use training programs or training materials for students or employees if the program or materials includes one or more divisive concepts or uses state appropriated funds to incentivize beyond payment of regular salary or other regular compensation a faculty member to incorporate one or more divisive concepts into curricula. Here's the next section. Any person aggrieved by the violation of any policy adopter required to have been adopted pursuant to subsection two, this section shall have a cause of action against a po public post-secondary education institution. It then goes on to, to talk about what that cause of action is, uh, you know, lines out uh, attorney fees as well. So there is a carrot a stick type, well, a stick type situation. So if you do something wrong, you will be held to account for doing so. Um, it also goes on to say, if a public secondary education institution employs or contracts an individual whose primary duties include diversity initiatives, then the individual's duties shall include efforts to strengthen and increase intellectual diversity among the students and faculty of the public post-secondary education institution at which they're employed. Nothing in this section shall be interpreted to prohibit public post-secondary education institutions from training students or employees on the non-discrimination requirements of federal or state laws, infringe on the rights of freedom of speech, infringe on the rights of academic freedom of faculty, require an employee of a public post-secondary education institution to violate any federal or state laws. And it kind of goes on to basically uh, make that point. So what the bill in whole does is bans this teaching that a person is racist or that a person is somehow advantaged or a person is disadvantaged. Uh, a person can't succeed in the United States simply because of their skin color, sex, race, um, you know, those religion, those kinds of immutable characteristics. Basically it says if you're receiving tax dollars as a post-secondary institution, you won't be teaching people to judge others based on their skin color or sex. That's what the bill is doing. I went through it with you pretty much in its entirety, going through each of the concepts being laid out. And in each of them, what do we see? We see that there's no reasonable person who should be against any aspects of this piece of legislation. There's nobody. Why, why do you need to? Why would you want a publicly funded institution teaching people to judge one another based on their race or skin color? Obviously, you wouldn't want that. But of course, the lefties are losing their mind over this. Why? Because it, it challenges their indoctrination camps that they're running at these universities. It, it challenges their ability to continue to steal money out of your pockets to push their liberal agenda. It will change that and stop that from happening, or at least help stop that from happening. And that's why they're losing their minds. You actually have leftists going crazy on Twitter right now, all over the place going crazy because they're being told they can't judge people based upon their skin color and sex. Really tells you who the racists are, doesn't it? Really indicates who, who maybe the problem is. Who is causing all the racial and sexual division 
in this country. Maybe it isn't the conservatives who are applauding efforts to ban the teaching that one sex or gender is, is inherently superior or inferior to another. Something that a person who isn't a racist would do. Only a racist would have a problem with it. And once again, the Democrats are exposing themselves for the racists they are. Now, will this bill pass? Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. What do I think will happen? I think there's no chance that this bill, as wrote, passes. I think if anything passes, it's going to be a, a, a dumbed-down, a toothless version where a lot of these things are removed and it'll be a basic thing that does basically nothing. So that way representatives can go back and pound their chest saying, we dealt with DEI and universities continue to vote for us, especially with the primary season coming up without actually doing something. And why do I say that? Because the universities are a pretty sizable lobbying group. Now uh, it's interesting that they are because they're so funded by tax dollars. But see, they give a lot of money and, and, and time and effort to the State Chamber of Commerce. And the State Chamber of Commerce is a heavy hitter in the lobbying field of things in the state legislature. They have many lobbyists, they have many things they push upon, and they're heavily funded. Well, not heavily funded, but the universities certainly partner with them to push it forward. They're one of the stronger lobbying forces in our state government is the state chamber of commerce. And I can see very easily the universities going to the state chamber of commerce, telling them, no, 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 no. Stop this from happening. Of course, the chamber of commerce will never conceptualize to any of us small business owners or, or the people that the chamber of commerce, remember the chamber of commerce is supposed to represent businesses, right? It's supposed to represent commerce in Kentucky. They'll never conceptualize or explain why, why this kind of racism is absolutely 100% the most important thing that we need here in Kentucky. They won't do that. They'll never do that. So they won't be held accountant to doing that either. Their members and, and the people who could ask them questions like, why are you getting involved in this fight on universities? What's this got to do with commerce in Kentucky? Well, they won't ask those questions. They're just allowed to facilitate because it's all just a scam. But anyways, the universities give them money. They lobby on their behalf. The state legislature gives more money to the universities who then give more money to the chamber of commerce, which then lobbies on their behalf. And the cycle ever more continues, but putting that to the side. So will this pass as it sits? No, I, I it, it will either be massively changed or not move at all. I will be fascinated to see if I will be the first one to admit that I, Andrew Cooper Ryder, was 100% wrong if this bill, Senate Bill 6, ends up passing uh, and not being a toothless, dumbed-down version that doesn't do anything but provide a supposed win to supposed conservatives. Now, you look at this legislature and say, well, we've got a bunch of Republicans. Why can't this pass? But I point you to our early conversation about the kinds of people we have in our legislature, the kinds of corruptness and people who they don't care about representing what you or I want. They don't care about representing what the people want because they think that the voters are so ill-informed that they'll continue to vote for them no matter what, as long as they can send them some shiny mailers and run some ads on the TV. And the way they pay for that is by doing the bidding of those forces that want to see everything that we stand for destroyed. And the only question is, is you as a voter going to fall for it? And a way you can fight that is by doing things like sharing this show with others. 
Well, that's what we've got time for today on the Andrew Cooper show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. Remember, if you want to reach out to the show, question, comments, or concerns, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. I look forward to speaking with y'all. We'll see you back here tomorrow, 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. Have a great rest of your day.